G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Uh, It'll be an interesting one today because we're talking about a a very significant and yet complicated issue. The idea that there is a subtle seduction of a generation. And so asking today, have we entered a new dark age? And that might be challenging those sorts of thoughts, particularly if things are going well for you right now and you think, well, nothing dark about this dark age. Uh, There's a roof over my head. There's meals on the table. The kids are in school. uh, Things are going okay. Well, what does it mean to uh, think about entering a new dark age? How did we get to where we are today? And how do we reflect on the issues that are shaping our culture, the ideologies shaping our culture Uh, the things that are shaping those who are graduating from Australian universities. Well, we're going to open our talkback lines and our special guest uh, talking through some of these issues with us today is Dr. Gladwin Turner. Uh, We're going to talk about this subtlety of a seduction of a generation and you might like to contribute. Our talkback lines open from now on 1-800-316-316. That's 1-800-316-316. Well, Dr. Gladwin Turner is founding pastor of Southside Christian Fellowship in Sydney and founder and director of the Australian and Asian Missions Association. Now, Gladwin and his wife, Helen, are missional pastors. They love the body of Christ. They love passing on what they have learned in more than 40 years of ministry. And there's as many as 400 churches in their wake across South Asia and a wonderful opportunity to get together again with Dr. Gladwin Turner. Gladwin, welcome along to 2020. Good morning, Neil. Gladwin, we've had some great conversations before and they haven't been on this topic. And no. this one's a, something of a departure for our conversations. But I know that this is something that you are passionate about, the things that shape our thinking. And uh, let me just ask you about uh, just uh, general thoughts as we get into the conversation, because it is a, a sort of a topic that can go deep and it can go wide and it can go anywhere. And some of our listeners today will help direct the, the way that this conversation actually unfolds. But let's talk about this idea of a subtle seduction of a generation, a new dark age. What are your mm. thoughts? Yeah, look, it's uh, one of those uh, uh, complex issues uh, where you look at society, you look at what is happening in society, and you say, is everything good? Uh, What is happening that is negative, which is deconstructing our our social norms? And uh, I'm I'm of the opinion that uh, Western society generally is heading into a new dark age. Okay, some people might say that Western society is already in a dark age. This, I guess, is a point of contention because I guess it's uh, who you are when you're saying these things, what context you come from, what you understand about things that are changing and who's been affected by all of that. Mm. Uh, but, uh, but you're saying perhaps we're not there yet, but we're on our way there. Are we fast-tracking our way towards a new dark age? Definitely, I would say we're fast-tracking. 
uh, to a dark age. Um, we see this, I think, expressly within the way in which society has uh, gone contrary and is legislating against our social norms. Okay, well, I guess if we talk about a dark age, uh, we perhaps need to reflect on what we understand by that term because uh, when we often think of the history of the world, uh, there was a period of time when the world was considered to be in the dark ages and what that all meant because some people say, well, it depends on who you were in that time as to whether you were actually in the dark ages. What do you understand about a reflection on how we understand that terminology? Let me uh, put it from a biblical perspective uh, for a start. Um, there was a time, the scripture tells us in the book of Joshua, where every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So right, as opposed to wrong, then, is determined by an individual. And if I might put it within a biblical framework, rather than a century-long framework, uh, we can associate the Dark Ages with a period um, of uh, every man doing what he determined was right in his own eyes. I think that's the best way for me to frame it, frame it because I see that culturally transferring into today's age. Well, that's so important, isn't it? Because for everyone listening to our conversation now, we're likely to all have access to a Bible. And so when we reflect on uh, every man doing what was right in his own eyes, we actually can see, without even looking at a 2,000-year history since Christ, yes. we can look into the Bible that's within our own hands and we can see the history of the children of Israel and they went uh, into and out of what you're describing as dark ages. So there's illustration of dark ages in the Scriptures. Yes, I've broadened the understanding uh, into a biblical context context rather than a century-defined context in the last two millennia. Okay, well, we are going to want to talk about some of the things that have evolved by way of the, the thoughts that people have about what's brought people into dark ages uh, in this last thousand years or so, and listeners might like to contribute uh, when it comes to this part of the conversation as well. Yeah. Uh, 1-800-316-316, for listeners like to uh, contribute to our conversation today, talking about the subtle seduction of a generation. Gladwin, let me ask you about universities because yes. universities are the place where usually uh, those people who are going to be uh, the ones directing traffic, uh, calling the shots, yes. making the big decisions about future, uh, political policy, those sorts of things are coming out of people usually who have been through the universities. What are your reflections on the status of universities in Australia? Well, that's a very good question. Um, I see universities as modelling um, for the intelligentsia of today and of yesterday the thought processes upon which society uh, is to be established. And uh, to me, that is of a major concern, particularly in the way in which uh, sociologically um, things are predetermined as to how society should function rather than allowing a society 
to be the reflection of the uh, corporate conscience and that being directed by a within a framework of boundaries as set by just not only the Lord, but also by law. And when we think about universities, the education that people receive, we can reflect, can't we, on the history of Australia and uh, where those universities have come from in the first place, uh, where education began uh, within Christian circles. But when we talk about the context of Australian history, we're actually talking about then the context really of of British history. We've we've got a much broader history that goes back into uh, the history that's evolved over the past 2,000 years. Absolutely. I mean, when we look at the establishment of universities worldwide, I mean, the first uh, historical university was in Italy. Um, We look at uh, other great universities around the world, Yale, Harvard, Oxford, Cambridge. I think it's lost generally uh, to most people that these were originally founded as colleges of theological education and then they branched from there uh, into uh, the liberal arts and sciences. Okay, I guess even if we were reflecting on the word itself, university, that uni part of the word really talks about a oneness or uh, what I suspect, going back historically, was a oneness which meant a common worldview, a common way of thinking about life and therefore an ability to you know, put one brick upon another and build something that was substantial. And, and I guess that was uh, coming from those early foundations, the Christian worldview of life. Absolutely. Uh, But that has been lost, of course, within our um, educational institutions as these were more laterally run uh, and handed over, passed over to uh, governments to run. And which is one of the points of contention that listeners might like to comment on, uh, the way that in some respects churches have lost their influence when it comes to the university. Our talkback line is open on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Uh, the thing that seems to have overtaken the universities, Gladwin, is uh, this idea of a secularisation. How do you reflect on the way things have changed in Australia? Look, I think that where you have had universities that have uh, commenced uh, with a very theological, um, you know, moral foundation, uh, and those universities have contributed majorly to the uh, thinking uh, of, uh, of world movers and world shakers, as you come on and then you flow into more of the liberal arts and then into the sciences, you do lose that, that foundation. And we've seen that uh, overseas, uh, you know, with the older, more established universities. They fail to, to hold on to the ethos by which they were founded. And yes, uh, they have lost their way in relation, although they'll have theological, offer theological degrees, they have lost their way in being an influence in society. And the important thing I suspect that listeners won't want to lose from this conversation is that this is not new. This has been repeated time and time and time again uh, through history. And perhaps we could reflect over the last thousand 
or 2,000 years, but then, as you're saying, bringing that wonderful context, Gladwin, Mm. uh, this goes right back into the Old Testament where we can see uh, this same thing happening there. And I guess you could talk about that, couldn't you, as a uh, godliness that brought about the prosperity and the blessing on a nation and then a movement away from that to what would be a secularization, or as you say, uh, everyone doing what was right in their own sight. Uh, these things, uh, this is the illustration that we're seeing from the Scriptures. It is uh, very clearly what we're seeing uh, happening on the world uh, frame. And uh, it's, and so we wonder, we look at society and we're saying, why are these, uh, this increase of murder, of immorality, uh, the, in, the degeneration um, of society in itself. Where is this coming from? Uh, and we have to ask those questions today if we're to connect with society generally. And let's talk solutions even early in our conversation. Don't want to talk about solutions just on the end of this conversation today. But uh, if we're talking about where we ought to be going, uh, what are your thoughts on a change in direction, an addressing of this secularization. What is it your thoughts on on what Christians ought to be thinking about? Well, I think that we need a new renaissance for a start. I think that uh, society needs to return to the uh, moral foundations of its uh, Judeo-Christian ethics, uh, which have been responsible for the framing of our laws over the years. And look, I'm not saying all those laws were good, but what I'm saying is they, they, they put a, a foundation in place and put boundaries in place that people understood and to the greater extent were comfortable with. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. It's Neil Johnson with you and our special guest this hour, Dr. Gladwin Turner. We're talking through uh, issues which are very important and I've got to say uh, not everybody's comfortable talking about these sorts of issues, Gladwin, because uh, sometimes it sort of gets a little bit technical and complicated and philosophical. But uh, I think uh, just the encouragement to listeners, uh, don't be uh, don't be concerned if uh, someone starts talking about philosophies and things like that because these things are important in understanding uh, where we are and where we've come from and indeed where we're going to. Uh, we are taking calls on 1-800-316-316 and there's a bunch of people lining up to contribute to our conversation today. Gladwin, let's take a call. Let's hear from Robin in Cabramatta in Sydney. Hello, Robin. Welcome along. Oh, hello. Yes, I'm, I feel very strongly about all this, but I think it's not enough to say, oh, society should do this or the church should do that. I think it's what I as an individual will do because God selects individuals to change society or part of society. So I'm more interested in what I'm doing as far as, and I believe that is prayer, 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 and prayer. Prayer, praise, and preaching if God uh, um, leads me in that direction. Robin, some good thoughts. Let's get a reaction. Uh, your thoughts in response to uh, to Robin Gladwin. Full marks. That's exactly right. Uh, as Christians, we should be praying. 
you know, for our society. We need to be praying for those who are our parliamentarians. We need to be praying, as the Scripture encourages us, for all uh, that are over us as an authority. Um, just let me add a little to that, though. I think that more Christians should be putting their hands up in the political arena. You know, to be a salt uh, that is preservative uh, within our Houses of Parliament right throughout this country. Thank you so much to Robin from Cabramatta in Sydney. And there is a sense, and we'll take some more calls in just a few moments, uh, that prayer is important. And it all starts with me, the individual. But uh, what you're saying, Gladwin, is that it's not just prayer. It's not just the individual, but it's also this, uh, this welling up from the inside that says, I need to stand for righteousness. Absolutely. I mean, more more Christians, I think, uh, need to stand up in the political arena and be prepared uh, to make a difference uh, as far as the legislature of this country is concerned. Now let's take another call. Emmanuel is in Perth in WA. Hello, Emmanuel. Welcome along. Hello. Good morning. Um, I'm just ringing up about uh, the rise of pornography and uh, sexualisation. I think that something that um, sometimes Christians don't talk about enough and that sort of hijacked our hijacked our um, uh, over here, I think in, in the world actually um, uh, be interesting to see your thoughts about it. Emmanuel, an amazing point because uh, I think this is a part of what's happening in the uh, secularization uh, of the nation and uh, perhaps part of what is happening with uh, the deconstruction and moving into a new dark age. Uh, some thoughts from Gladwin Turner. Yes, definitely. The uh, sexualization, if I might use that phrase, uh, of our young people today, uh, I believe is an overt strategy um, that has come out of uh, our, our universities uh, principally and from other uh, interested parties within our, our social structure that uh, is looking at really taking our younger generation and reforming them and over-sexualising them to, again, deconstruct our society. And uh, we're seeing this. We've seen it. We're seeing it in the Safe Schools Coalition, for instance, uh, here right throughout the, the country. And uh, this is a problem. I mean, Cheltenham Girls High School, for instance, uh, uh, have banned... Uh, gender-specific terms such as girls or boys uh, in favour of uh, gender-neutral language. And, uh, and so what they are doing is they are not only uh, deconstructing the English language as it stands, but also attacking the very core of the male-female relationship, which then opens up to all sorts of other areas of uh, polymorphous relationships, of gender confusion, a whole heap of stuff. Emmanuel from Perth, thanks so much for your contribution today. And before we take any more calls, let's just uh, reflect on this for a few moments. 
because I know you've been thinking deeply about these issues, the sexualization of society, Gladwin, mm. And, mm. and some people would talk about a eroticism mm. uh, and almost to the point where uh, the eroticism in Australia or in the Western world has become almost an alternative religion. And it's a a religious fervor by which people are pursuing this sexualization of this eroticism mm-hmm. and uh, and at the same time trying to downplay the value of what comes from this judeo christian uh, ethic that we hold and this presence of Christ in our lives yeah look it 's a major concern at the moment um, i mean how if if you go for gender neutral language as the Safe uh, Schools Coalition is trying to foist upon us here right throughout the country. One of the things that you, you do is you, uh, you have self-determination as, as a result of your own sexuality. And, uh, and this, is, this is the whole uh, problem with this movement as such, in that uh, uh, gender is a choice. It's not something that occurs at conception where you've got double X or an XY chromosome that determines whether you're male or female. So um, in the, the nature of the way this is being presented, uh, it's being presented to, to children from such a young age that should not be exposed to, uh, you know, these various different uh, types or even understandings of sexuality. It's taking the innocence away from the young people of our generation. That's the problem. Let me get you to reflect on the idea of freedom here because uh, people who are on the bandwagon for the changing sexuality, the idea of promoting eroticism, and I guess you could look at the Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras as saying, well, that's what uh, is, uh, you know, is a focal point of of where that eroticism is uh, within the homosexual thrust. Uh, but when you talk about freedom, that to a lot of people is where freedom is. Don't give us all this stuff that comes from your religious foundation where you say, I can't have sex with whoever I want to, I can't do this, I can't look at pornography, I can't do all of these sorts of things that, uh, that we're talking about. They're saying this is what freedom is, the ability to express yourself sexually, and that's where that religious context comes because somehow or other the freedom that we talk about in Christ uh, is being portrayed in a different way. And, uh, in fact, uh, I suspect it leads people into a deeper bondage. Mm-hmm. But uh, your thoughts, Gladwin? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Um, freedom can lead to bondage. Sexual freedoms of all sorts, without there being appropriate parameters uh, to protect uh, the sexuality of individuals, can lead to that individual being bound. Uh, into all forms of different uh, psychoses, erotic behaviours, etc. Um, and I, I think that God's word is, must be predominant here, that he says, you know, um, that we are to maintain ourselves pure to marriage. And there are good reasons for that, because within the sexual act itself uh, and the sexual discovery, there is a bondage. There is a binding together um, you know, of, of a couple within, within the Marriage Act. And I think that that is lost to society generally. 
And just to take things even a step deeper than people will often talk about when they discuss these issues, Gladwin, because we can talk about these things philosophically or ideologically, but there is also the spirituality uh, that is behind uh, some of this uh, sexualization. What are your thoughts on uh, on the spirituality behind these things? Well, look, there, there is a... I mean, let's face it. Uh, there are some things which are good that are God-ordained. There are some things that are bad that's, that's not God-ordained. And you've got to look at the other side because... Uh, man is a spiritual being, just not a physical entity. And when we start looking at man as a spiritual being, when he crosses over and breaks God's holy laws in relation to sexuality, then there is always a cost to the individual. And uh, that cost, we've, we've seen it over the years uh, in um, unwanted pregnancies, in teenage pregnancies, in, in uh, multiple teenage pregnancies in some instances. And, uh, and we've seen it within, uh, you know, uh, diseases that are, are transferred from one person to another. I mean, you just can't, you just can't uh, legislate for morality. But one thing that you can do uh, is promote the a good, clean, healthy lifestyle. We are taking calls, 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to join in our conversation today, we're talking about the subtle seduction of a generation. And the conversation won't be just about sexual issues, although that has come up early in our conversation and uh, there'll be plenty more to talk about. But 1-800-316-316 to be part of our conversation. Let's take some calls. Uh, Rosemary is in Melbourne. Hello, Rosemary. Welcome along. Uh, Good morning, Neil. What are your thoughts, Rosemary? I was just thinking, here in Melbourne, you've got Melbourne University, where you've got Trinity College, the Anglican College, you've got Newman College, the Catholic College on the campus, and you've got the United Church College. And there um, you can have, uh, you can join as a choir member, you can be married there within the chapels there. Uh, Monash University here, I know they, I think they still have a person there who is designated as a chaplain that you could go and talk to when you're on the university campus. We have Australian Catholic University. Um, I was thinking of the verse, Thy mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. That some of us seem to get thank God for the blessings, but we don't, we're not acknowledging him. And I was reading Deuteronomy chapter 17 this morning, where the people went to Prophet Samuel asking him for a king, king, because they had turned away from God and so they wanted an, an earthly ruler. And uh, crossing to another point, I go to two different local fruit and vegetable shops. One has the local Christian station broadcast in the shop and the other fruit shop uh, run by a person who is a Christian and that has triple M in the fruit and vegetable shop, which has guns and roses and ACDC. And there's a different atmosphere. Uh, let's get a few thoughts from uh, our guest, Dr. Gladwin-Turner. Uh, uh, what your uh, your response to Rosemary's thoughts? Yeah. Well, you know, Sydney University has its Moore College and its College of Divinity. Um, what my concern is more with what's coming out of not the theological uh, 
the theological departments, but more what is coming out of the other departments associated with the universities. And whilst it's good that there are these attachments, uh, they today... Um, I mean, I know that on Sydney University campus, although it wasn't my university, um, there's a very strong evangelical union. And, and those things are good, just let me say that. But my query is, are we doing enough in what is happening in the light of society and what is happening within our university campuses, uh, particularly uh, with the post-structuralism uh, that is being taught today um, and which is challenging everything uh, at its base roots. We're talking about the subtle seduction of a generation and asking if we have now entered a new dark age. How did we get to where we are today? How do we reflect on Australian universities? How do we reflect on the the ideologies that are shaping our culture? Well, our special guest is Dr Gladwin Turner, and we're talking through this issue, the subtlety of the seduction of a generation. You can be part of our conversation. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Just before we take another call, uh, Gladwin, let me just ask you, we used to read books and we used to do study and we would assume that somehow or other the author had a truth that they were trying to communicate and we would try and find out what that truth, what actually what it actually was. Yeah. Uh, there's a new sort of philosophy that takes over that says it's all about what the reader feels Absolutely. when they when they read that that research or that author. Uh, that's a very subtle but very different way to look at it and, and it has ramifications for what's true. What are Absolutely. your thoughts? Yeah, look, this is uh, very much the uh, post-structuralist uh, agenda. I mean, there, there are a lot of authors that uh, uh, think this way. Uh, Michael Foucault, Deleuze, Butler, etc. We're all authors that... Uh, uh, part of what we call the post-structuralist movement and uh, with with them of course the uh, the authority of the text is always external to it uh, so there's no consistency of interpretation um, but in 67 wrote a book called the death of the author uh, so in that the authoritative uh, source of meaning for the 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 text actually lay in the way that the reader interpreted it. Uh, so that, that's created a challenge to everything uh, that is written uh, semantically. Uh, you know, we no longer, if you're from this viewpoint, you no longer interpret something the way that it's written. And so what this led to was what we call a, a binary opposition, um, where uh, the binary pairs of male female, rational, emotional, were rejected. And so this is where all this fluidity of gender comes from today. And it's being taught in our universities uh, and in our um, 
yeah, it's uh, not good. Well, you might like to think deeply, and we won't have this conversation today, but no. you might even think deeply about how we approach the Bible, on according to what you just said uh, there, uh, Gladwin. We can't have that conversation. It's too big a conversation for today. We're not going to get yeah. drawn off in that direction unless listeners take us that way. But we're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Archie in Queensland. Hello, Archie. Welcome along. Hi, how are you? Good morning. Very good, Archie, and thanks so much for being so patient and uh, waiting on the line. What are your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts are just like the things about the university, how it shapes the Australian culture. Uh, it's like, if you try to look back the history, every, let's say, in the curriculum, they should embed in every class or every course, they should study the basics of the history and the constitution because I tried to read the Australian constitution I think it's in the first paragraph or second paragraph. It says there, the Almighty God, which is the, that's the word that, I, that cuts me in the Constitution. The Almighty God is mentioned there is the Almighty God brought by the Jew Christianity, which are from it is uh, from the from from British. So it's the Christianity that we have here. Then I think every individual, a migrant or trying to get into Australia, or every citizen of Australia should learn. The Constitution, what is in there, and how it shape us. Because Constitution is the basic and foundation, uh, foundation of the law of the land. Archie, fabulous point to be made there and the idea of reflecting on Australia's history, recognising what is in our constitution uh, and so many people want to draw away from that whole uh, acknowledgement of Almighty God. Uh, Mm -hmm. But your thoughts, Gladwin Turner, on what Archie's sharing? Well, listen, I mean, he's right, isn't he? (laughs) (laughs) Let's face it. I mean, there's a truth in in what he's saying there, that that if society would just reflect upon the Judeo-Christian ethos as reflected in the early laws of our land, we would be a far happier country. We'd be a blessed country, no doubt about it. No doubt about it in my mind. But, of course, we're living in an age where, according to Nietzsche, you know, God is dead. So if, you've, you know, if God is dead and that is being taught that there is no accountability to anybody for the things that we do in this life, then it's open slather. We can do anything. We have total and absolute freedom. But the problem even with freedom is that as soon as my freedoms restrict another individual's freedoms, then we're not really free, or that other individual isn't free. So freedom, too, itself has its own parameters, and that's what people lose sight of. Thank you so much to Archie from Queensland for your input today here on 2020. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316 and a different sort of a conversation today, uh, one that you can get your teeth into if you think about the way we think. Uh, What is it that's shaped us as a generation? Are we headed towards a new dark age? Let's hear from Graham in Tasmania. Hello, Graham. Graham, are you with us? We have lost Graham. Well, call us 1-800-316-316 to be part of our conversation today. Let me take you, Gladwin, to a little bit of history over the past thousand years or so. Uh, the way that thinking has changed, and we really, uh, I think we uh, we struck a, a chord in the first part of our segment today, and we talked about a biblical context uh, 
uh, where people did what was right in their own eyes. And we can see uh, the moving in and out of dark ages in the Old Testament. So this is nothing new to us. No. But as we think about uh, what's happened in this past thousand years, uh, there's this idea, and you mentioned it early in the conversation, something about we need a new renaissance Uh, The idea of a Christian humanism, uh, not a secular humanism because it's very, very different, but a Christian humanism which is based really on uh, this idea that man is created in the image and likeness of God and all of the things that that means uh, for an individual and for a culture. Uh, And just your thoughts on on this past thousand years and the way things might have developed uh, towards where we think today. Yeah. Well, look, in the, in the last thousand years, we've seen uh, wonderful uh, discoveries, uh, scientific. We've seen uh, tremendous things as far as the arts are concerned. I mean, you, you, look at, you go into the Sistine uh, Chapel, you look at what is there, you look at the, you look at the famous artists of uh, Rembrandt and others within that uh, uh, era, uh, whether it's uh, impressionist art or whatever, there there is something there of the expression of in man uh, that evidences God's creativity. We seem to have moved uh, from that uh, as we've come into uh, the late uh, 1900s. I mean, sorry, late 1800s, the late 19th century, and into the 20th century. Um, in fact, uh, a lot of our art is ugly, a lot of our music is ugly, um, if I might frame it that way. It's glaring, it's atonal, and um, yeah, I think there's something to be desired if it, if it stirs a person but doesn't uh, quieten or calm their spirit. So where we had a renaissance going back to the 14th century and there was a Christian humanism about that uh, which yes. acknowledged God in all of the functions of a society you might uh, you might generalize uh, then as you reflect again the 18th century there the uh, the rise of reason what people call the enlightenment and uh, right. sort of a separation of the religious from the secular and you've got this uh, this battle that goes on between the two and as you say the beauty of the art of that day different to what started to emerge in the ugliness of the art that came uh, from that secularization i wonder whether uh, you can reflect for us how you see today uh, gladwin uh, the beauty and the ugliness because it seems to be that both are flourishing yes flourishing in different sectors um let me say this, uh, I love, uh, I travel to China every year, sometimes twice a year. Um, one of the things that I love is looking at uh, the architecture there, particularly in the Padong area um, in China, and uh, also looking at some of the artistic beauty uh, that was in the gardens of Shukau and, and other places that were reflective of a generation. Of course, when we're talking about the Shukau gardens, we're talking about the 1430s when they were created and still extant today with enormous beauty within them. So yes, we do have you know, tremendous things that, have, that are reflective of the creative nature of God that was embodied within us when he created us. And that that goes right through. But at the same time, I can look at some buildings and say they're terribly ugly, or look at some paintings and I I can't see what the author was trying 
uh, to portray within that. Um, look, I think that whilst we have both of these things happening today, I see that uh, in many instances uh, the beauty is in decline and the ugly is more taking over, particularly not so much in that which is created as far as, uh, you know, development is concerned, but, you know, when I'm talking there uh, about development of buildings, etc., what I am reflecting on here is what is happening within the heart of man himself. That's where there is a profound ugliness in some parts of the world. And the way we view God uh, is reflective of what comes out of the individual, uh, what comes out of the heart of someone who has a godly submission, a godly humility, uh, compared to someone who is coming from a rejection of God, an anti-God perspective uh, disposition uh, that that actually brings out what we're acknowledging as some of these things that are quite ugly. Yeah, it seems like it's more, shall I say, a spiritual attack in the mind of men uh, than anything else. And, on, and I, I think that what we're dealing with is a lack of spirituality within people that has created a vacuum that allows them open to uh, evil influences that uh, are taking over the thought processes. We are taking calls on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's hear from Jonathan in Perth in WA. Hello, Jonathan. Welcome along. Yes. Uh, I think the second Timothy chapter three talk about that. That in the last day people will be powerful, boastful, arrogant, children will turn against their parents, people will have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. So you talk about freedom. You know they have a lot of freedom and freedom say freedom without limitation is not freedom. So having freedom, it don't mean that you can do anything you want to do. But this is what people get involved, so they are free to do anything, so there's no law. Even in the government, we boycott the law. We don't, dis- we don't obey the law again of the country. We don't obey the law of the Bible. So we become free thinkers in other ways. And we are losing our society, destroy every day. Because we have no view of where we are going, where we are coming from. All right. There's, context is important in the sorts of things Jonathan is sharing. Uh, your thoughts, Gladwin? Yeah, look, uh, he, he's right. You know, your your commentator there was uh, exactly right in what he was saying, Um, you know, in relation to freedom, my thoughts uh, uh, with him on that. Um, Just let me say, uh, in relation to uh, us not being under God's laws today and making our own laws, what what is within man is coming out of man. Um, and you see, let, let's just take it back to creation for a moment or two, if we may. Sure. Um, when God created man, he breathed in him the breath of life, the breath of life, important, because within that is all, it, it's not the breath in relation to the spirit of God, it's the breath of God. Uh, the Hebrew reads the Nisama. That came into man, and it's now that man carries the creativity of God with him and about him. 
and uh, it, uh, out of that comes the cognizance and the desire for relationships, just as God desires a relationship uh, with us. Also coming out of that is the sense of right or wrong. Every man has a sense of what is right or is wrong. Now, because that is the life impetus of man, sub, uh, subject to the fall now, what man creates can come out of either the creativity of God or the creativity of another source. Today, what we're seeing is the creativity of another source. And uh, this, is, this is where our issues primarily lie. We're creating things out of our fallen image rather than out of God's image. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective. 2020 on Vision. We have been talking about the subtle seduction of a generation over this past hour. Our special guest is Dr. Gladwin Turner, founder of the Southside Christian Fellowship in Miranda in Sydney. And uh, also plenty of other strings to the bows of uh, Dr. Gladwin Turner as we talk through this sort of issue today. We've been talking about this subtle seduction of a generation and you brought a wonderful context at the beginning of our conversation that perhaps is useful for us to go back to uh, Gladwin, that this is nothing new. Going in and out of dark ages uh, is something that we've seen from the scriptures. Uh, this idea of men doing what was right in their own eyes. Uh, there are illustrations uh, that God has already given to us, which are actually serving as a warning for where we are today. Correct. I mean, when we look at, uh, you know, as I said earlier, I think I may have misquoted to said Joshua instead of Judges back then, but um, certainly it, it was Judges uh, that in the book of Judges, men doing everything men doing that which was right in their own eyes and I think that when we step away from a moral framework when we step aside from God's word and we start doing what we think is right then things go awry for us we saw this happen consistently through the nation of Israel where it had its own personal renaissances and then you know dark periods and it was all dependent upon the leadership that they had and so we see with successive kings, the, uh, the reforms of Hezekiah, for instance, Josiah, and other kings. What we see, um, even uh, under King Asa to a certain degree, we saw a reform there. But when we look at these things, we see that there's a commensurate blessing upon the people. The people live in peace, the people live in harmony. And, and in essence, if we could capture that, in this day and age, that the and have a return back to the Word of God and see it as a principal guidepost for our lives, then we would we wouldn't have this fluidity within um, our our social structures. I mean, yeah. I think one of the weaknesses, and we've only got a couple of minutes here, one of the weaknesses appears to be that uh, people who talk about the things of God are assumed to be stuck in history, and uh, we get called all sorts of names like dinosaurs and things like that, whereas people say, well, I'm going to be progressive, and that's a loaded terminology, uh, progressive, which usually aligns itself with this sort of cultural Marxism, uh, which moves forward and says, uh, we're all progressive and we're moving forward, you're all stuck in 
the past. But actually, uh, those who are reflecting on the past have got the wisdom of the past and we need to somehow or other get ourselves together so that we can look at the future and say we are the ones who are able to uh, predict and to uh, plot a course for the future because we have this rich understanding of the past. I mean, we came through the Renaissance into the period of Enlightenment and it looked at the beginning of last century that was going to be peace, harmony, and yet what has happened? I mean, two massive world wars with the loss of enormous lives and subsequent wars uh, to that. So uh, given all of our technology, given all of our wisdom, given all of our knowledge, are we any better off? We've got to ask no. We're not. What's happening in society? And what we're seeing is a deconstruction of society because every man's doing what is right in his own eyes. And as one of our callers uh, said very, very powerfully, uh, it does come back to the individual. Uh, We might hope that governments or someone's going to come to power and going to solve all our problems. It comes back to the individual heart. And uh, each of us has our own responsibility before God. And together, corporately, those who hold uh, those uh, those treasures in our hearts, that's where change can come. Yeah. Listen, you can't legislate behavior. You can legislate to contain bad behavior and what is socially unacceptable. But what we need, and this is what I'm saying, is we need a, a new renaissance. We need a change in the heart of mankind. And that needs to be expressed in the way that we uh, society, we react or interact uh, in society with each other. And that is a prayer point for every listener to our conversation today, to bring these issues before God, because... Absolutely. The complication of talking about and trying to explain what's going on, uh, really, uh, we need to be able to have God's wisdom in the way forward. Uh, Dr. Gladwin Turner from the Southside Christian Fellowship in Miranda in Sydney. Uh, Gladwin, uh, you spend a lot of your time these days travelling the world, uh, mission enterprises and uh, as many as 400 churches that, you're, that you've been responsible for the, the founding of uh, throughout South Asia and uh, Southeast Asia and just a wonderful story. And uh, we've talked a, few, a bit about some of those things before, but I'll point people to the website for your church and uh, the website is uh, scf.org.au. Have I got that right? Yep. Um, www.southsidechristianfellowship. You'll, it'll come up in all in one hit. Okay. Well, Gladwin, uh, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us again today on 2020. Yes. Uh, big topic, uh, and I feel we've just scraped the surface of it there, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.